have the type of content, like 15 reasons to date a doctor that would get us a ton of page views and might go viral. But then we had the thoughtful content written by like, you know, the bloggers and that may not have gone viral, but it definitely proved higher conversion for the company. So I would see way more people registering Free Harmony and signing up for an account from those types of articles versus just the fun listicles and things like that. So there's such value to content that resonates with people to the point where they say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to try eHarmony after reading this. So that's like, that's the power of content. Hi, and welcome to the Optimize Podcast. My name is Nate Matherson, and I am your host. On this weekly podcast, we sit down with some of the smartest minds in content marketing and SEO. Our goal is to give you perspective and insights on what's moving the needle in organic search. Today, I'm thrilled to sit down with Jeannie Asimos. Jeannie is the head of content and communications at Way.com, a car saving super app. Think insurance, refinancing, parking, car washes, and more, including roadside assistance, for example. And before that, Jeannie was the VP of content at eHarmony and the managing editor at Entertainment Tonight. Today's episode is jam-packed. Jeannie and the team at Way.com have done an incredible job growing traffic to the Way.com site from 40,000 to over 1.6 million monthly visitors. And I want to unpack all of that work here. Here. And given today is Valentine's Day, we're going to chat about Jeannie's 11 years at eHarmony. We will also chat about entertainment tonight and the nuances of doing SEO for news content. This week's episode of the Optimize Podcast is brought to you by Positional. My name's Nate, and I'm one of the co-founders of Positional. We've been working on Positional for about 10 months, and we've built a handful of what I think are pretty awesome tools, including we've launched Content Analytics. Content Analytics is kind of like a heat mapping tool, but for a content marketing and SEO team. We provide really granular insights into where users are dropping off within your pages. And we've actually just launched a couple of new capabilities too. We've launched click mapping and click tracking to give you better insights into where your users are clicking and converting. And we've also launched a more general heat mapping view too, alongside our read maps. We'd love for you to check out our entire tool set at positional.com. Jeannie, thank you so much for coming on the Optimize podcast. I am so honored to be here and I can't wait to dive in. And I love that this is a Valentine's Day podcast. It's perfect. I have a lot of dating tips, okay? <laughs> well, we can definitely get into dating tips because I know a lot of our listeners are still looking for love. And uh, we do have a lightning round at the end of this episode. So we will probably pick two or three of those there. But the first question I ask all of our guests is, how did you get into the world of content marketing and SEO? So... I always just wanted to be a part of making an impact. My, and I've been a storyteller my whole life. I've been writing since I was a kid. I'd write little books as a child. So I've just always been a writer. And you can't not be a writer and, and get into that world eventually if you, you know, pursue it for a career. So, so, and when I was at Entertainment Tonight, I initially just worked on the TV show. And then I evolved into the digital aspect of the show, which was ET Online. So that's sort of like when really the um, SEO work started. Being part of a TV show, there's not a lot of people in the room that know much about SEO or, you know, online optimization, all that stuff. So I was kind of on my own there. But once I got to eHarmony, it was next level because that's such a, you know, important part of the business and just has continued to, to be 
And so that's sort of how I got into all of this. Yeah. And I know on your LinkedIn, you mentioned that since you started at way.com, the site has grown in traffic from 40,000 monthly visitors to 1.6 million monthly visitors uh, organically. And that's just amazing. I do wonder, like, because on this podcast, we always say that traffic doesn't necessarily equal dollars. How has it been from a conversion standpoint? Uh, is that traffic that you've been driving actually converting to customers or revenue or whatever that KPI is? Yeah. I mean, for, for a startup like Way, which isn't a household name, like the other companies I worked for, it was really about building awareness of the brand and increasing our users, which we've done so exponentially since we started, you know, so I think that's the the win there for us is just, you know, many more customers have come to us since seeing our content and then downloading our app. So really that's that's the win there has been sort of that aspect of creating the content and growing the content. And coming into this role, was it a matter of just creating a lot of content that didn't exist yet? Or was it more of like a task of improving what was already there? It was really expanding the breadth of what they were doing. So when I came in, it was very niche, you know, because Way.com started as a parking app. So it was a lot of like content around parking in different cities. There was just so much more opportunity for, you know, a bigger audience in other areas of car ownership, travel. You know, we sort of just blew the doors off of off the, what the team was writing about. We looked at also, I worked hand in hand with the head of SEO and we sort of just built out a roadmap of, you know, what, where are the opportunities, everything from engine parts on cars to car people, like what they like to name their cars. If you're a white car, a red car or travel stuff. I mean, there's just, there's so much there. So we really just expanded what the team was working on um, and, and organized it in terms of opportunity and, you know, how much traffic is, is this stuff getting monthly? So we just really created different categories. We had a trending category. What are people talking about? How can we get some quick wins there? So it was just expanding, I would say, what the team was already doing. And we also had to expand the team because I think when I started, we had maybe eight writers. Now we've got 18. So yeah, it was just like a coming in and just going, let's blow the doors off this and let's, you know, let's expand in this in every direction we could that made sense. And we did our, our research to make, you know, to sort of back that up. I'm going to veer off the road or off the script already because I have a few follow-up questions I want to ask. And so a lot of our listeners, like they are like uh, startups, like earlier stage startups perhaps, and they're just like starting now to think about how they, they scale this channel. And you mentioned like doing that research process to figure out what to write about. Could you maybe like walk us through like how you uncovered these topics or these keywords that you wanted to ultimately create content on? Yeah, that was really a collaboration again with my SEO team. So they sort of would look at anything related to the car space. So they kind of just started there and then just did their investigation, looking at all the different opportunities for keywords. So it was really like, it was a process. It wasn't like you come in one day and go, oh, you know, it was just like brainstorming. What are the areas we could write about? For instance, you know, a lot of people write about different car models and um, that's pretty difficult to compete with like an Edmunds or a motor trend. So we weren't going to tackle that type of stuff just when we saw the difficulty there. So it was really like looking for opportunities, but really just sitting and what are all the possibilities in this niche, in this genre that we could write about? And then just doing the homework to, to get to the results. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. And and whenever like I'm thinking about building a new website, like, you know, my goal is to ultimately like cover every question that someone has in that space. Like I almost want like my website to become like the search engine for that given topic. And 
we'll talk a lot about topical relevance and topical authority, really just like how Google understands our site as being a good one for a specific topic space. And so I do agree with that process and model of, of thinking about what is every question that a, a potential buyer or user could have. But as far as prioritization goes, because it sounds like you've created a lot of content. Mm -hmm. So I guess a two part question here, like how much content has been created and published on the site? And then how did you go about prioritizing which topics to do first? I think it was just like, we would look at the potential number of um, users we would get gain from a particular topic and then work that way. I think it was like a combination of keyword difficulty and then potential traffic wins. And we sort of organized it that way. And how many pieces have been created so far? Oh my God. I mean, well, the team only, you know, so they, they write blogs. I think I would guess three to 400 a month. That's a lot of content a month. That's insane. So you've got like 18 writers. Are those all like full-time employees or are those also freelance? Yes, they're all full-time employees. Yeah. They're in, in India. Our, our, our founder's Indian. And so he really wanted to get back to his hometown of, of Kerala. So we've got like a huge team over there working. So. so just doing some like quick math here, if we've got like 18 writers and let's say like 400 articles a month, that's like something like 22 articles a month per writer, uh, which would I guess be like five or so pieces of content a week. So like one a day. Yeah. And, you know, these are well, like, researched, you know, thorough blogs. We're not talking 400 words. We're talking, you know, a thousand words typically. Given that these are non-English speakers, do you, these pieces of content need to go through, like, a pretty heavy editing process before they actually go live? They are actually all English speakers, and they're all, like, professional writers from their, you know, we don't bring in people who are sort of junior level and don't have writing experience. These are all writers that have background. And they go through a pretty vigorous testing just to make sure that the quality's there. Because, you know, if you've got, you know, if there's, if it's crappy quality or it's inaccurate or whatever, like it's not going to rank. So we got to make sure that these are people that are up to the task. <laughs> I agree with you there. Like, I think quality of content is probably the most important it's ever been. Like, I think, you know, back when I first started in this business, you could get a lot, you could get away with like much lower quality content. But I think somewhere around like 2017, 2018, 2019, it just became clear that Google got a lot better at determining like what was a great piece of content. But I'm going to ask you, and this is a question I ask a lot of our guests on the podcast, like what makes for a fantastic piece of content? It's a great question. I think, you know, it's always through the lens of what does the customer, you know, interested in and how can we add value and add information in a digestible way for them that is going to, they're going to benefit from. So I'm always looking at it from the lens of the consumer or customer. So, you know, bringing value to them and maybe learning something they didn't know. And it's not about just regurgitating or just general, but it's specific. It's looking for data, you know, interesting stats, all those things to me will just, you know, make your content that much better. Yeah, and I just did like a quick Google search. I know it's not gonna be perfectly accurate, but it looks like you've got like over 11,000 indexed URLs on the blog. So we're talking about like tens of thousands of content pages possibly. Like, do you need to spend a lot of time coming back to that content after you've already published it? Yeah, especially so we've got, you know, there's, there's like the winning content that ranks and you kind of got, when you start to see it slip, you got to go back and re-optimize and refresh. So I have one person on the team that pretty much does that. That's like 100% of her job is just to do that. So I feel like that's really important, especially with the stuff that's ranking. 
to keep it fresh. So how do you know if a page is slipping? Like what's that like kind of metric you look at? I mean, you can tell when, you know, you go into GA and like that particular article was, you know, pulling in 14,000 users last month and now it's down to 8,000 this month. Or, you know, you don't always maybe see the first you can you can track pretty real time. I love looking at Google and <laughs> GA. GA4 has been a challenge for me <laughs> to sort of adjust to. But yeah, just you know, just keeping an eye and keeping a close watch on, on that stuff. And that's the team is pretty fan, fanatical about that too. That and our, our domain ranking, because they get a lot of backlinks from as you can imagine from our blogs, and it's that's really helped us too, just to uh, be more authority and you know helps the site overall. So we're always watching like what's our, you know, to be grow up point. Oh my God, it's it's so funny, but yeah. Well I I do want to ask how important are backlinks in all of this and maybe a follow-up question. Like do you think backlinks are as important as they've ever been? I mean it's definitely helped us. So you know, the CEO was very focused on us getting backlinks and me getting backlinks is a big part of my job. Since I started it's like two and a half years ago, we've, I think we've increased, I want to say seven or eight points. So we're almost just, I wanted to get us to 70. We're at 69 now. So at first, you know, the trending articles help with that. The trending blogs help with that because these are topics that people are writing about. Like, like for instance, one of the first ones that we really saw wins with was the catalytic converter theft. So we started writing about that in different cities and pulling data. And then we started getting a lot of backlinks there, which was great. But it takes a lot to move the needle. So I actually, about eight months ago, we signed a partnership with a company called Stacker and they syndicate content to a bunch of news sites throughout the country. That has been the mad, like the silver bullet to grow our domain authority. So I think we've grown four points with them already and just... I don't, not even eight months. That's really interesting because I spent like the first six to seven years of my career in the consumer finances space where like backlinks and domain authority, it was really, really important to just like get in the running for a lot of these keywords. And back at like 2016, 17, 2018, like NerdWallet, one of like the largest competitors in this space, like was very aggressively pursuing like content syndication partnerships as like a means to build backlinks, at least from my view. Like I never worked at NerdWallet, but that's kind of what I gathered from the outside looking in. So it sounds like at, at way.com, content syndication has also been really effective for, for building backlinks to the site. And, and I know you mentioned there like linkable content, like using data as a, you know, a means to create like a linkable asset. What are some of those like data sources that you find yourself continuing to tap or that you use within your content pieces? A lot of Statista, that's like a go-to for us. We have an account with them. I love it because I get a lot of trending ideas from Statista. For example, they came out with a, um, a stat about Taylor Swift's, like all her statistics, how much money she's made, how she's, you know, uh, with her, between her concert and her touring and how she's, you know, surpassed Mariah Carey and like all these stats about her. So and we do write about concert venues because parking is one of our verticals. So event parking. So I was able to sort of tie it in there and do an article about her staggering stats of, of 2023. And that became our most successful a stacker article ever with, I think, over 500 reposts. So um, pickups. So yeah, that's a lot. And usually they get 150 as a good number for them in their network. And this was over 500. And it actually continues to get picked up because she won Time Person of the Year as well. So, you know, that's that's a, a great data, 
data source for us. And we actually have our own data too um, from a data team here. I'm always going to like the airport team and saying, what are you seeing in terms of booking? Is, is this going to be a big travel year? Is travel back? Like just always trying to find interesting stuff just to sort of even create some news too. Yeah. So Stacker, just so I understand it, they post the content on their website, but then they also distribute it out to like other partner sites that they work with. Is that right? Yes. And the partners can pick it up or not. So they've got like MSN, Yahoo, Miami Herald, like a lot of high quality, uh, high domain authority sites in their portfolio. Yeah. They haven't given me the full list. I was like, what's the whole list? I want to see where we're not, like where we haven't gotten in yet. So we can, because, you know, if you get the same outlets picking you up all the time, it's not as valuable to get those backlinks. So I'm always like, you know, how do we expand into, you know, just so we can get more coverage by more outlets. So I'm always trying to push the, push the envelope here to write about things that you may necessarily see with a, a car app. But I like, I created a series called What Drives You? So I can talk to interesting people. And so that's been kind of successful too, just to sort of spin it that way. I do agree with you. Like, you know, the 18th link from a website is probably like less valuable than that first referring domain. But I imagine too, that like, at least in my case, like I found that journalists just copy other journalists. And so like, I imagine that like with the content syndication, you can get some like initial momentum behind these pages. And then do you find that like, if you do on say like an MSN, then like naturally other journalists might see it and then decide to write about it on their websites. Yeah, we've had we've had some of that happen. And we've actually gotten some nice um, PR sort of opportunities out of that. We wrote about like green auto loans and um, a CNBC reporter saw that one. And then she actually reached out. And so I connected her with our our head of insurance. And he was like prominently featured in an article for them. So there's there's so many wins when you do that as well. So that's been very cool. Consumer Reports was another one that picked up one of our stories and interviewed one of our team members. So that's been that's been awesome. That's exciting for me. Yeah, and I appreciate you sharing that very specific example about Taylor Swift. Um, and like you said, it's awesome that every time Taylor comes back up into the news, then like you might be getting sourced again and building more backlinks every time she's a, a popular topic, which would which she always is. And she's welcome to come on this podcast anytime. So as far as, you know, programmatic SEO goes, because I know there are a lot of like non-blog editorial pages on the website. For example, like I saw earlier that you've got a page about like car washes in Minnesota, like Minneapolis specifically. Um, are those like a, an important part of the strategy? They are. Yeah, they're dynamically created. And our head of SEO honestly could speak to that a lot better content team will jump in when needed for to work on these types of pages but yeah they're they're dynamically created and it helps us a lot with as with Google obviously when you've got you know that specific and all those those options out there for people to that just helps sort of grow your traffic as well. Yeah. And you recently posted on LinkedIn and I'll quote you, I'm not worried about AI and chat GPT replacing authentic content. It can be a great complement to it and an ally. What do you mean by that? I mean, it really depends on what content you're talking about, right? But like, there's been a lot of fear that you know AI is going to replace writers. And I just, I feel like with certain types of content, yes, you could generate it with AI unless you're going to get dinged by Google. So you have to be careful. But I feel like I, they, they also emphasize conversational content. And I think that nobody does that better than an actual human being. So I think the relatability factor, the empathy factor, the you know first person experiential factor, AI cannot 
in, in my opinion, um, duplicate that to the extent that a human can portray that. So I'm not worried about it from that lens. Like we've used it to enhance this, rewrite this with Google, this like sort of tagline or description or something like that. Like, I think it's, it can help you and be support in that way when you really don't want to spend a ton of time working on something like that. So I feel like it can be an ally in that way. What did you mean by like Google might ding you? Like in terms of it, that content just not ranking well, or like they might actually ding you. That's what I've, I mean, you know, you, you always have these conversations in the office. And I think it was our head of SEO that said they're not going to give the, um, the authority to, let's say, something that's totally written by AI versus written by, you know, somebody on your team. So I don't know if that's true or false. <laughs> I guess time will tell. But I think there's tools that they can that can detect whether something's actually written or just, you know, produced by AI. Is that is not correct? You probably would know. Yeah, there are plenty of uh, AI detection tools on the market. You know, I, I think, you know, none of these tools are going, going to be 100% accurate. And I, I find it very misleading when like some of the tools claim like 99.9% .9 accuracy because I just don't think that's possible. But yeah, I would argue that like there's been AI generated content for a long time. Like there was actually AI generated content in 2014. It was just really low quality. Um, and it, but it did work from a search standpoint for a long time. But then, you know, through a series of updates, Google like very clearly tried to penalize what they saw was low quality AI generated content. And so, yeah, I think Google's like kind of wavered on this a couple of times in the last few years, like, you know, back in 2022, like John Mueller uh, came out pretty clearly on Twitter and said, like, don't use AI generated content. Like if you do, and we catch you, we're going to, you know, kind of mark you as spam by spam brain. Um, but then like Google at the start of 2023 kind of updated their guidelines and they said that you can use AI generated content as long as you're quote, not using it as a means to manipulate search results which is what most people are trying to do with AI generated content. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens from here. Um, but I totally agree with you that having that, you know, firsthand experience, that conversation with that customer in your content is, is very important to ranking well. And at least on this podcast, like some of our listeners have probably heard before, I myself am not a huge fan of AI generated content and it's not something we're using at Positional. One quick thing I just wanna ask you, I know that like you've got 18 people, would you say that the cost of content has only gotten more expensive over the last few years? Cause a lot of people have joked on like Twitter that like, you know, with AI writing tools, the cost of content's actually going to go to zero. Would you say that content's more expensive than it maybe has been in years past? I mean, I think, you know, obviously as inflation <laughs> affects all of us, I think maybe yes, a little. Um, I'm always on LinkedIn surprised at some of the rates that people, like they're getting some really great rates for their content. But like, since I started to now, I mean, obviously we've increased the amount of uh, team members, but it depends on also where you're where you're getting your content from. I mean, obviously, you know, the team in India, it's a very different um, financial dynamic there and just their cost of living. So it's obviously much more affordable for us. I'm really lucky to have a great team of smart people. So it's not, if I was to have eight, if 18 people here in the US, we couldn't do it. There's no way.
We're about halfway into this episode of the Optimize podcast, and I just want to bring you a special note from one of our sponsors, that being Positional. If you're anything like me, you probably love internal linking, but you probably don't do enough of it. And it probably takes a ton of time to find missing internal links throughout your old pieces of content and then internally link the new pieces you create. And that's why we built internals. We'd love for you to check out our internal linking tool set at positional.com. And that was a word from our sponsors. Now back to this episode. And you mentioned on LinkedIn that you find yourself collaborating with product as well as the design team pretty often at way.com. Yeah. Would you describe the way.com content team as a very cross-functional team? Oh, yeah. I mean, so obviously they work hand in hand with the SEO team on a daily basis, especially working on a lot of the static pages for SEO and and that kind of thing, uh, listings, things like that. Product. So I have a, one content person that just works on product content. So that's her you know, that's what she's doing every single day because, you know, the, the product engineers aren't necessarily as versed in English as the um, content team is. So it's really important that that's, you know, all being QA'd through them and the design team as well. I mean, we're sort of a nimble organization in a lot of ways. So I will literally scribble out like what I'm thinking for, you know, if we're working on, let's say, a one sheet for our um, one of our partners for our Wave Plus, which is a membership program. And I need a one sheet for the sales team to pitch. I'll just sketch something out and take a picture really old school and send it over to the design guy and have him work on it. So yeah, it's kind of cool. We t- I get to interact with everybody here far more than any other company. I think that's just part of the startup. I'm in these SEO meetings. I'm in you know meetings with the sales team. It's really interesting to sort of to get this experience at this point in my career. Because when you work for a bigger company, it's just, you're more siloed. You know, you're just, you're in your lane, you're doing your thing. Here, like, we're all together in an office and we're just, and I've got, you know, sales team for car wash here. I've got the SEO guy next to me, I've got social media girl sitting behind me and I've got our, the co-founder who's, you know, forging all these amazing partnerships and deals sitting on the other side of me. So it's cool to have all that going on around you. You can't help but learn and just get a different perspective. If you could get a backlink from any website that you don't currently have a link from, which one would it be? TechCrunch. (laughs) I say that because the first day I came in, our CMO slash CPO, he's a busy guy, said, I need, you know, I want to get us some TechCrunch. And I've been trying for two plus years and it has not, I think we've been covered by them before, but I haven't gotten us in there. Very, I mean, and I even had a PR team we had a boutique team we had hired for a while to help because it like PR is not something I thought I'd be doing when I came in, but it was sort of added onto my plate and it's just difficult for one person to do it. So um, they didn't get us in TechCrunch either. So we're still trying. I'm sure it'll happen. You'll get a link from Positional today in the show notes. So maybe that ticks you from 69 to 70. We'll see. Whoa. I probably not. Actually, definitely not. Um So I do want to ask about your experience at uh, Entertainment Tonight. You were there for over 12 years. And I myself don't have any experience when it comes to doing like SEO for like news related content. Is uh, is doing SEO for like news related content substantially different than like doing, I don't know, traditional SEO with a blog post? I think you've got so much competition in that space. So if you're not like an entertainment tonight or, you know, a very well-known outlet, like a People magazine or a TMZ, you're going to have a hard time 
ranking because so many people are writing about entertainment news. I think um, it's going to be tough to to rise to the surface. There are people who have, like Perez Hilton was, you know, one of the first bloggers of entertainment news back in the day, and he created a name for himself by being really snarky. So there's like the opportunities, I guess, but I think it's just a lot tougher. That's a tough space. Like I would never have the team work on celebrity content. Now, that said, we have done things like Jay Leno's car collection, and we get backlinks from that that article all the time. So there is opportunity in, in a certain, you know, a certain arena, I guess, but it is, um, I think it's really tough, but you know, back when I worked there so long ago and it was really, you know, I was working with a bunch of TV people. There's not a lot of knowledge about the online world back then. And, um, you know, they knew that I was managing ET online and breaking news ET online all the time. And they would come, they would run through the newsroom and say, how many hits are we getting? That was always like, I'm like, what's a hit? But okay, I'll, I'll answer that. I'm assuming you mean page view. How many hits are we getting today? That's what the executive producer would say. Like there was just, they didn't have a lot of knowledge about, you know, online stats and whatnot. So, so I would just say over a million hits, you know, and they'd be, they'd be happy. <laughs> well, you know, it's kind of quite hard to see hits in Google Analytics for these days. So I but I imagine back then it was a little bit easier. Would you be totally crazy to start like an, an entertainment news focused site today if like you were starting from scratch? Ugh. Um I guess it just depends on how many resources I have. If I had a lot, like a lot of money behind me and I could bring in voices or people who are known, or I may think, you know, building a site you kind of need voices of authority. So I think that maybe if you had a budget and you had, you could do it if you had, and maybe if you had a different, a unique lens or a unique idea that somebody else wasn't doing, there's always like room for that. I think like with, with, with um, eHarmony, the advice site, this is kind of an example. It was doing okay. You know, we had a bunch of eHarmony staff articles there. I just felt like they were very generic and not really providing that much value. So I built up a blog team of just different people with different voices. I really wanted to cast a wide net and appeal to all different types of people, whether in a relationship or dating or whatever. So I hired that psychologist I mentioned to write about the more sensitive issues in dating or, you know, issues you may have in relationships. And then I had a single woman in New York who was dating uh, in that, you know, in that part of the world. And that's kind of an interesting, unique experience. And then I had a single mom. So I just built out a interesting variety of people to talk about their experiences in dating. And that content at the time, like, you know, it was all about with your ad sales team, page views and whatnot. So we have the type of content, like 15 reasons to date a doctor that would get us a ton of page views and might go viral. But then we had the thoughtful content written by like, you know, the bloggers and that may not have gone viral, but it definitely proved higher um, conversion for the company. So I would see way more people registering Free Harmony and signing up for an account from those types of articles versus just the fun listicles and things like that. So there's such value to content that resonates with people to the point where they say, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to try Harmony after reading this. So that's like that's the power of content. That makes a ton of sense. Uh, you know, certain topics are definitely more high intent than others. And you might drive a lot of traffic to like a listicle at a point in time, but 
if no one's actually ready to take action, it's just eyeballs. And for a site like eHarmony, that's, you know, not monetizing off of advertising placements or, or something to that effect, like how valuable actually is that content. But I find it really interesting that you you went out at eHarmony and tried to like source different authors with like a unique experience and perspective. And that's kind of what Google has said to do with like their eEat guidelines. Like you want to have, you know, experience, expertise, authoritiveness, trustworthiness. And I know SEOs will debate like how important it actually is, but you know, even if it's not like a direct ranking factor in search, I think you ultimately are creating higher quality pieces of content that'll probably have, like you said, a higher impact on conversion rates and ultimately the value you can drive from that content. And more backlinks, <laughs> more backlinks, right? Yeah. And more backlinks, just a win-win. Yeah. Cause like, I would much rather link to like one of Carrie Bradshaw's articles about dating in New York city than I would um, from, you know, author written by AI. Anyways, it's it's Valentine's Day. Uh, and I do want to talk more about your experience at eHarmony. You were the VP of content there and you were at the company for about 11 years. As far as like competition goes, it was like dating just like an incredibly more competitive space than cars or car washes. Or would you say that cars and car washes is more competitive than the dating category from a search standpoint? No, I mean, the dating category in the in the earliest days, it was sort of us and match.com. That was like our nemesis, our arch nemesis. But then the game changed when Tinder came along and the swiping sites came along, all the apps. So and we were sort of I don't know. I, I, mean, I don't want to say caught off guard, but we were in our own lane. I, we're the OG. We're doing awesome. We weren't really super focused on our app at the time. But then we, sh we quickly had no choice but to shift to that. You know, to look at that more carefully once Tinder came along, because then we also like lost just so much of being part of a cultural conversation because everybody's talking about Tinder. So that was sort of a scrambling effort to improve our app and also figure out how to get back into the conversation, the cultural conversation about online dating. So that was that was very challenging. And you've got a lot of big fish with big money, too, in that sea. And then there's OkCupid. They move the needle by coming out with all these very cool infographics, data-packed infographics about dating. And they had a, I don't know, they had a blog that just was doing incredibly well because they leveraged data and made it really interesting. And I remember them like, you know, everybody saying, we got to do that. So, you know, you got you do need to pay attention to what your competitors are doing. Yeah. You know, a few years back earlier in my career, actually more than a few years ago now, I think it was right when like Bumble was getting popular. We like did a piece of data driven content where we did a survey of both like Tinder users and Bumble users. And we, we asked them like, which one is for love and which one's just for hooking up. And I think we found that like Tinder was just for hooking up and like, uh, you know, Bumble was for actually finding love. And, uh, and we built like two or 300 links <laughs> to that article. It went like totally viral. The problem there was like our website wasn't about dating. So it was kind of confusing for Google from a, a topical relevance standpoint. But when I think of eHarmony today, I think of it, and I, I've not used dating apps myself, but I think of it as maybe like a more serious dating platform than something like Tinder. And so from like a, and I could be wrong here, but if I'm right, from like a content standpoint, did you need to think about like topics maybe that were for like a more serious dater and maybe not like, you know, writing about topics that would serve like a Tinder user? Is that something you thought about? I think that eHarmony is like, yes, it was known as a serious site, but I also think that even if you just want to have good dates with like a good quality person, eHarmony is, you know, a smart move. Because you're going to go in, we're going to match, like eHarmony is all about matching people based on 
complex algorithms and asking you a bunch of questions so that you actually have something in common with the person you're sitting across from versus Tinder is just who's in your vicinity, you know, who's 10 miles away or 20 miles away or whatever. So it's going to be a better quality date. So we wanted to, that's a message we wanted to send to the customer as well. So it's not just for marriage. It's not just for the serious relationship or engagement. It's actually for good dates as well and just meeting good quality people. So yeah, we wanted to create content around all of that, every stage of dating from the first date, like first things you never say on a first date or things you don't want to wear on a first date. You know, we covered all of that. I know at eHarmony, you must have had like a ton of interesting data. Where, did you utilize that data like from a content standpoint, either to create more engaging content or to build backlinks? Yes. We had a whole team of research scientists who were always like analyzing couples, interviewing people on eHarmony, and even just our like nightly sort of machine learning was interesting because it would look at like who somebody on the site was looking at or, or clicking on or talking to. And then the, you know, the next day we would probably present, we would present matches that based on what we knew they liked um, would be a better, uh, be a good fit for them. So one of the things I loved doing was meeting with our research scientists, talking about data or learnings they had, and then trying to create content that was like easily digestible because they were super smart guys. And some of it was sometimes pretty complex. So we'd always have to sort of, you know, work with the content so it could be, you know, used by interpreted, understood by a, a large audience. And how important are graphics and visuals or videos in all of this when creating content? Important or not that important? I think important. Can tell a story. Absolutely. Is uh, graphic and video creation something you're focusing on at Way.com? Yeah. The team's been doing web stories lately, which have been doing really well. Obviously, you know, when we have a, when we can have a companion YouTube video with a blog, we'll put that in as well. So it's always like, you always want to have that sort of 360 view of your content. Like, where does this blog, you know, how can we uh, transform this content to something for social media, YouTube, whatnot? So there's always that. How can we take this and apply the information to a different format just to get the most out of, you know, what we're creating? Yeah. And I, I think, you know, all of that would, would keep people on your pages longer. It would get them to engage more and, and hopefully send like a positive indication to a search engine like Google that like uh, your page is actually a good and helpful one and also just helps make those pages more unique and uniquely valuable and differentiated. So, and, and that's clearly something Google's thinking about. Absolutely. Absolutely. But this has been so much fun. Uh, if it's okay with you, I'd love to jump to the lightning round. Let's do it. And I come up with these questions as they go. They're not pre-planned. So we're going to we're gonna bounce around a little bit. Okay. What's the number one keyword that if you could rank first for, it would be like the best day? I would say car insurance. It's a great keyword. Very valuable one. Very competitive. And I guess I do have a follow-up question that's not a lightning round question. Like we had a, a guest on uh, a couple months back who said that like it's hard to create a piece of content that is unique for a keyword that might be just very commoditized? I mean, I think that's true, but there's always like, you can always get, you know, more detailed and more long tail, like key, car insurance rates in Idaho or car insurance. Like there's always an opportunity with that angle. So I, I don't know. I don't you know. Obviously car insurance is a very broad term. If we rank number one in Google on car insurance, that would just help our business so much. And that's why. Yeah. I mean, if you rank number one for car insurance, you'll be be printing cash. I don't. I don't even care what you're selling. Can you imagine? I think Geico might be a little upset. <laughs> and 
I, looking back at your time at entertainment tonight, was there like one story that you broke that like you'll never forget? Oh my God. Anna Nicole Smith dying. How did you break it? So we had been with her like in the Bahamas. She had lived in the Bahamas and our producers had just forged a relationship with her and our partner at the time, Howard K. Stern. So we had just an in with her and a lot of exclusives with her. So we knew before, you know, it was even out there that she had died in like a hotel room in Florida. And I remember, I remember I went to get lunch and I walk in the newsroom, everybody was just standing there. And I said, what happened? And I said, Anna Nicole Smith died. And um, it was like, everyone was shocked. And then it was like jumping into mode of covering the story. So I'll never forget that day. If someone dies and you want to cover the death of that person in a story, how do you like verify that one is actually dead? Their people, their team. Yeah. And so, and, a lot, and you've got relationships with their managers, with their agents, you know, like, especially to a show like ET, long term relationships with people. So it's, it usually comes that way. Gotcha. Uh, what's the number one mistake that people, maybe listeners of this podcast, are making on their dating profiles? Not putting enough energy and time into them and not, you know, just slapping up a profile with a crappy photo of you in sunglasses and not writing anything. If you're not even going to put time into your profile, like, are you going to put time into that person? It's just not a good indicator or a good first impression. So if you're serious about like finding a partner and finding a relationship or dating, take 20 minutes to create a profile and talk about yourself a little bit instead of being lazy. There's maybe some life lessons and content marketing lessons there too. Like if you know you're not putting forward like the best, most helpful piece of content is someone actually going to want to convert. And that's maybe my biggest problem with AI. Yes. And, and the, and the inaccuracies too. There's a lot of like inaccurate data that we found in those. Yep. Of course. Yeah. You know, we'll see GPT five. It should be here in 2024. So we'll, we'll see how much better it is. Maybe humans are finally going to be replaced. And the last question I want to ask is uh, about your uh, previous podcast called the love show. Uh, what were like one or two learnings that you had um, from from doing that podcast? You know, some I, I had a male co-host who was the CEO of eHarmony, and I did learn that men and women look at things very different in a different perspective. So that's one thing is they really just have a different lens in how we look at things. The other one is um, do not text like long format. Like a text, texting should be, hey, I'll meet you here. Let's do this. Texting should not be to explain your deepest feelings or to break up with someone. Texting should be short format because there's just way too much uh, room for misinterpretation. So we would always say, stop texting so much. Just get on the phone and call someone. People don't like to hear that these days, but there was that. And then the other, the, the last thing was, um, you're not in a relationship with someone until you are sitting across from them in person with them. You're not in a relationship if you're on the having an online uh, communication or an online relationship. This is not your boyfriend. This is not your girlfriend. It's not a relationship until you've actually seen the person in real life, because a lot of people get duped that way. Not to end on a negative note, but <laughs> it does happen. <laughs> yeah, well, I know that Manti Teo is a listener to this podcast, so hopefully he's uh, learned a thing or two from his experience. Now, we wish the best for Manti. But Jeannie, thank you so much for coming on. This has been so much fun. Such a unique episode for us. I had a blast doing it. Is there anything else you'd like to say to our listeners? I have enjoyed this so much, and I would just like to say everybody be kind to one another and, and uh, do something nice for someone else today.
This week's episode of the Optimize Podcast is brought to you by Positional. You probably know by now that my name is Nate, and I'm one of the co-founders of Positional. And we've built what I think is a pretty awesome tool set for content marketing and SEO teams. We've got a few features you'd expect, like tools for keyword research and keyword tracking, but we've also got a few tools that you've maybe never seen before. For example, internals for internal linking and content analytics, which is kind of like a heat mapping tool, but for a content team. It helps give you insight into where in your pages you might want to come back and improve. We've got about eight tools and we'd love for you to check them all out at positional.com. 